You don't need to be a bioengineer to help change the shape of humanity. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, we have a guest here, Sarah Newton. Who is she? Sarah Newton is somebody I met digitally. Uh, she has a handle on Twitter, at Philatrades. And, you know, I live in Philly. And she started posting stuff on ETFs and, uh, you know, kind of uh, interacting with me. And I, I got to know her digitally. And then I started seeing her around the, the circuit. And she's, I found out her story, which I thought was very interesting. And, you know, one of the things we vowed to do this year was to talk to actual and do-it-yourself investors of ETFs and skip the, the middleman, the asset managers and the advisors, which are good to talk to. But sometimes it's good, like with my two dads, to talk to someone who's out there doing it on their own. And unlike my two dads, which are doing a little more retirement nest egg type work, Sarah is really more of a trader. I mean, she is doing it herself. She's almost reminds me of like the 90s version of the day trader of stocks, she's kind of doing it with ETFs. And so she can share some of those insights, I thought. And she has an incredible story, which we're going to hear all about. This time on Trillions, delusional ETF trading with Sarah Newton. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Trillions. Hi, Joel. So how did you get into ETF trading? Um, Actually, uh, to be honest, uh, I first got into ETFs thanks to something called FinTwit. I was mainly into stocks before that. I would just trade common stocks. And you started to hear more about ETFs. Um, so I kind of heard of them, didn't really think of it as a trading vehicle. I started using FinTwit, which is uh, a subsect of Twitter. And I started following people like Eric, Dave Nadig would post um, Christian Fromhertz, who is actually um, a trader much like myself. And a great thing to follow with ETFs is the flow. It it helps you um, visualize the sector rotation, which is a big, big part of um, swing trading. So that's how I initially got my in. And then it kind of segued into something more risky, like um, options. But you weren't a trader to start with, right? You were just doing this on the side. Right. Okay. So, so, so what, what's your story? My like? backstory. How'd you get into this? All right. Let's, let's start with my backstory. I started investing. I guess I can't say trading. Started investing in the fifth grade. Wait, wait. Fifth grade. It's a crazy story. A father of one of the kids in my class got extremely wealthy during this time period, donated $20,000 to us to trade. So, he was actually making, placing trades based on what? what we were picking. I know, I know. Insane, insane. At the end, it didn't matter what we made, what we lost. He was going to keep it. It was his money. So he was your broker and you were just calling him up and like telling him what to do? I don't even know how our trades were submitted, to be honest. But um, we picked, I think as a class, we picked uh, 10. And um, when I was in the fifth grade, it was the dot-com bubble. Uh, actually, when I started the fifth grade, we didn't know it was a bubble quite yet. So what we would do so is... So you were like, pets.com, I'm all in. 100%. We would use, 
uh, I believe it was the Wall Street Journal, and we would literally paper trade. And this is not the paper trading that people know of today. This is use the newspaper to trade. We would write down our stock selection. We would track the stocks every week. And at the end, we started with $20,000. At the end, we we ended somewhere in the 50s. Um, so this guy made money off a bunch of fifth graders. So as you can imagine, it was an experience of a lifetime. It stuck with me. And my my mother always stocked picked uh, a cash account. My dad actually left his job for a little bit to try his hand at day trading. So I wasn't a stranger to this field. So being that age, seeing these astronomical returns, I was like, I- I'm going to get rich one day. This is what I'm going to do. So fast forward to you're out of college. Out of college. do you go into investing or? Well, listen, hold on. Before we get there, I'll just go really quickly. And I I always stock picked. I stock picked my mom's cash account when I was in high school. You know, us traders out there, we like to, we like to lay our claim to fame. So I just got to put this out there right now. I wrote my mom a note to get into Google. I said, Google's IPOing tomorrow. I need you to buy me a few shares. Um, those few shares, fast forward after college, helped me fund honestly where I am today. So I was one of Google's first investors. Well, all those, oh, hold on, all those CNBC articles that you see yes, about I was going to say that was me because I I hate those. I think they uh, in, in inspire lottery picking and like. But you're one of those people. I'm, I'm going to soften my stance a little because it worked for you. But they'll, they'll say, oh, if you only invested ten thousand dollars in Google, at, you know. 20 years ago, here's how much mo- that, mo- that money would be worth. But there were a lot of other companies that were Written by Sarah Newton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so you had some seed money from hitting the jackpot with Google. Yes, I did. But, okay, fast forward to college. I went to college during the Great Recession. It was a horrible, horrible time, especially since I, you know, was pretty familiar with stocks, had money in stocks, and had access to my mom's 401k. So I watched that thing get cut in half. It was devastating, and I thought to myself, I don't want anything to do with this. So I left the world of investing. Um, Actually, now that I'm thinking of it, I'm pretty sure that I own some fracking stocks still to this day because they were big at that time, and I still have not looked at that account since 2008. Anyways, all right, not to get too off track. I left, and you know it was really hard to hard time to get a job, and I took the first job I could get, and that was in consulting. And so I went into consulting after graduation, which is in like 2000, 2011. And I was making a career as a consultant when my mother, um, my mother got sick. Um, I had to leave consulting to be her primary caregiver. Um, she had breast cancer, which, you know, at first doesn't it doesn't sound like that big of a deal. People actually go through chemo and work. Um, unfortunately, my mother was already sick with kidney disease, so she was on chemo and dialysis at the same time, and it really required full-time caretaking. So I left consulting and I went to care for her. And, you know, at this period of time, I was like 23, 24. The rest of my friends, you know, had been in the workforce two to three years. They started getting promotions. Their lives started taking off. I mean, it really hurt. It was hard to watch. I had always been like a great student in college. I was successful in my career. And it was it was hard to take a back seat to that. And um at this point in time, you know, the, the market had started to rebound. Things were looking better. And I think, honestly, when I try and think back of, like, what was, like, the light switch moment, I 
think my mom might have accidentally, because she was not a frequent watcher of CNBC, I think either she had it on or I honestly might have been in a doctor's appointment and it was on in the waiting room. I can't remember exactly how it happened, but like the light switch went off. I was like, I should get back into this. Why did the Why did the light switch go off? Why did you? Well, why I knew did you I to thought get... to fifth grade and how much money I made, yeah. and I was like, oh, clearly I can, you know, make a living easily doing this. And were you in a place where you were like, it was hard, and you guys needed the money? Oh no, no. I was more at the standpoint that, you know, when you're life like finance is compounding. When you're not doing anything, you're losing everything. And I was losing my career and I needed to figure something out for myself. Um, I think that is a very um, common trait intrinsic to females. A lot of times we're put in these hard situations. You know, many of us become caretakers at all different points of time in life. Like hopefully... Hopefully a lot of us don't have to do it as young as I had to do it. Um, I know there are probably a lot of people actually my age that coming up soon are going to have to do it. Um, my parents were boomers. I'm pretty sure your parents are boomers. Um, it's just something It's something that's coming. There's not enough workers in the field to care for all these people. There's not enough finances to pay for it. And people are going to have to bite the bullet and, you know, do caretaking on the side and investing or not everybody can trade but investing is definitely helps fill fill the void of that income and that lack of exposure to the workforce so you basically looked at your life that you needed to be making some money that you were out of the game but you could right. get back in the game because you knew some basics exactly and what was your next move um, my next move was to return to the account that I had abandoned and not looked at since 2008, 2009. And was that your your fracking account or your mom's account? That was my account that had actually the fracking stocks. It had the Google in it. And I think it had some Apple shares. And it and, and was rough about... Sense, how much did you have in it? A 50,000. Okay. It was it was a really pleasant surprise. And basically, it was not like, anywhere. It was five times. I left it at 10. I returned and it was five times the size that I had left it. It was... I had no idea that it was there. I know. Okay. So all these crazy articles you hear about, a lot of yeah. them happened to me. Don't don't take this all with a grain of salt. It's not common. Um, so I returned and I had this nice little nest egg. And if you look back to that period in time, arguably from, you know, 2013, 2014 to, you know, pretty recently was like a really great time to be in the market. There were some extreme drawdowns that were really hard when you're staring at screens all day, every day. But other than that, it was a good time to be I, I like to call it what I did in the beginning, active investing, because it wasn't it wasn't trading. I wasn't staring at the screen all day, every day because, you know, I was a caretaker um, that took up most of my time. So more like active investing, uh, like a, uh, something in between long term investing and swing trading. That's what I was doing during that period of time. And when you started doing this sort of trading for yourself, uh, can you t- you remember the first ETF trade you did or what started off the ETF portion of your account? Oh, I'm. 100% positive. The first ETF trade I did was SPY. Without a doubt, I'm pretty sure that's everybody's set of training wheels. Gateway um, ETF. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I really think at at first when I got into ETFs pre-Fintwit, I really just thought they covered the indexes. You know, I think my knowledge, my knowledge pre-Twitter was minimal, but almost in a in a good way. Not minimal, simplistic. I'll say simplistic. And I think that was a double-edged sword. Um, 
I think in some ways it saved me a lot of pain, but, you know, there's still a lot of more innovative opportunities that I didn't know about because of it, and ETFs would be one of them. So I did, I definitely did have money in SPY, um, nothing fancy, nothing options, just sitting in SPY prior to Twitter. But post-Twitter is when I started to get into, you know, the more exotic ETFs. So, so you put, what did you do with that 50? Did you go all in on SPY? Oh, no, no, definitely not. Um, I The way that I used to stock pick was not technical, not fundamental. It was I would pick stocks that I felt like I used the companies a decent amount, and that morphed. I started reading different investing books like Jim Cramer's books. Um, I started searching. Oh, my gosh, I remember the first thing I searched online was was I just typed in stock charts. And, of course, the first thing that comes up is stockcharts.com, which is actually a really great resource. And I picked up a lot of the basics that I know about technical analysis from there. So you use SPY and then, you know, you've given me here a list of ETFs used. This is like, you know, level 400 here. So you, right. you definitely went from 101 to 400 <laughs> at some point. Yeah. How did the training wheels come yeah, off? Like, yeah. Into it. So, uh, again, and I like double-edged sword, but... So FinTwit came into my life, and what this is is it's a subsect of Twitter, and it has all of the best of the best, also with the worst of the worst. Um, There's people like Eric on there. There are hedge hedge fund managers you see in the movies on there. Um, There's anonymous accounts that are, you know, backstage geniuses um, that, you know, go on there and share their wisdom. And this is how I learned most of what I know today. And one thing I would recommend for anybody listening who doesn't use Twitter, but if you you don't have to tweet, but one thing I do sometimes if I'm preparing for a quick TV hit or something, or I just want to see what the latest people are saying about an ETF, just put cash tag in the ETF in the search. And you can see all the latest people talking about it. I did this for HYG recently, and there was some interesting charts and things put out that really helped deepen what I was looking at. And it's free. I mean, it was an amazing quick resource. It's like Google on steroids and and very specific. If I put HYG into Google, I wouldn't have gotten that specificity at that speed. Um, So it can really help. And you just put the dollar sign in the ticker and you can find everything that people are saying about that ETF before you potentially buy it. Yes. Uh, So if you're new, if you're new to the Twitter sphere and you're hearing this podcast for the first time, um, finance Twitter does not work with hashtags. They work with what's referred to as a cash tag, and that is the dollar symbol. So if there is an ETF you're looking to find more research about, like MJ, you put in the cash tag or the dollar symbol, MJ, and you can you can filter it by top, you can filter it by latest, um, and, and you can see all different opinions. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. People who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. 
There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Fast forward to today, right? You're, you have your account, right? So ETFs are a tool in your account that you use. And are you riffing off of like economic data or interest rates to move money within ETFs? Like, do you use, say, like HYG or TLT? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, uh, a lot of people so, might use those to play rates. Okay. So I use ETFs in way more ways than I used to use ETFs. Now I use them in about 10 different ways. One of them being what you're talking about, um, speaking to economic data. Um, do I trade them all? No. Do I watch them? Yes. That's a whole different story. HYG, JNK, UUP. Um, UUP is the dollar, junk bonds, high yield. And if I'm to trade anything, it's going to be TLT. And that's bonds. Um, I just, I think anybody out there who, who watches bonds has seen the trade that there just was recently with the experience volatility. If I'm going to trade anything, it's going to be TLT. The liquidity in it um, makes up for the non-existent liquidity in the actual bond market because, as you know, you know bonds sell at different times. Um, and TLT know. is the 20-plus year treasury, so it definitely is sensitive to rates and yeah. also sometimes used as a, as a crisis hedge. Like if you think things are getting... Uh, really bad, TLT could be a flight to quality as well. Yeah. And I, I hate to hedge. You know, if if I have to hedge, uh, I probably shouldn't be in the trade in the first place. I don't use TLT to hedge. I do use the volatility instruments to hedge. Um, there's VXXB, which, which is... Is the new VXX. But hold, let's, right. let's just stop here for a minute. Now, the volatility instruments are power tools, right? Right. They hold VIX futures, and so they have to roll them and so the ro- the cost of rolling could be like forty percent a year. So they're they're widely known not to hold long term. So you're 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 kind of going in and out of them. But when the market has a bad day, nothing goes up like a VIX ETF. It, it's up right. like three or four times what a negative three times S and P ETF would be up. Like it's the ultimate jackpot. If you're right, if you're wrong though, the it's like it corrodes on you. So do you do you like kind of come in and out of it? I've never held a volatility product for longer than two days. I never would. There's, you can't, there's no, there's no real chart patterns to it. People will try and play technical analysis on it. I, I don't believe it works that way. Um, there's some people that do, most people don't. But yeah, after, after listening to the dad's podcast, um, I do, I do fear there's a lot more people out there like them who misunderstand these instruments yeah. and are, and are using- being encouraged by Eric. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just step back for a second. What what do you think your strategy is right now? Right now, okay. So the commodity play. Um, I think this year uh, we're going to see a significant move in gold, and I'm playing that out via GLD. Wow, she seems really confident yeah. about that. <laughs> Listen, I think gold is. Uh, why do you think gold is going to move? Because gold has zero correlation, right? So it, it doesn't necessarily move opposite stocks. I mean, I won't bore you guys with all of my technical analysis jargon, but technically, 
it has the potential to break the downtrend line from 2011, which which would be you know a very large move. Also, I'm also playing this off of the chance that you know we might be entering a recessionary period in the next two years. Like I'm right. not saying that definitely this year, but most definitely in the next two years. Um, this can be played out pretty easily. I, I'm playing it out through actual shares of the ETF. I know other people who are playing it out through leaps, which mm-hmm. are options that go out into 2020. Um, so you've got time on that. So they're not as volatile. They kind of they don't really move much at all. But honestly, if there is a big move to the upside, you know, they're gonna they're gonna reap the the reward. I see one on here that I want to really unpack a little bit. Um, you like EEM. There's two reasons I find that interesting. A, you know, emerging markets been beat up for a long time. So mm-hmm. why do you like it? And B, you know, amongst us ETF analysts, EEM is a tough pill to swallow because it's so expensive. So we are so inclined to say, you know what, use IMG or VWO. They're way cheaper. Um, but traders do like EEM. Can you kind of break down why you like that? I like EEM because of the way it looks technically. Again, like most people who are traders trade on a technical basis. So from looking at EEM, it's been in a consistent downtrend. Um and the reason why I'm watching it right now is because, oh, and I shouldn't even say watching because I have been playing it, but I've gotten burned several times so far. So um, in October, I was in it, thought it was going to break to the upside. It kind of did a fake breakout, failed again. Um, but EEM is, uh, you know, it's it's almost like volatility, like the volatility products in the sense that it, it's got a wild ride. You can't get in it and expect it not to move a lot. And I think the reason why traders like it is because the upside potential, if it works, is big. Um, the payoff is big. And, you know, since we don't have to be in these products for long, the cost the cost of things like management fees is not really important to us. How long are you typically in a position? Something in my active account, I would never be in for more than three weeks. That would be, and that would be long, like a long-term tr- swing trade. We did a study. There's a thing you can calculate the break-even holding point on where the bid-ass spread uh, versus the cost. Like, and I think EEM. This is like five years ago. I did this. If you're going to go be in within three weeks, it's actually cheaper to use EEM because the expense ratio is prorated over a year. So. The bid-ass spread and the liquidity is such that it's cheaper. That's really all I'm ever looking yeah. at. Well, I, I honestly, yeah, I know <clears throat> from following so many ETF guys what you know the bips are. Do I yeah. really care? No, I'm I'm focused on the bid-ass yeah. spread. That's the end-all, be-all for me. One you put on here, which again I find interesting. It's the best performing ETF this year is MJ. We've covered cannabis a couple times on this podcast. Like we had Barry Ritholtz on. Even though he believes that pot's going to be a big deal, he he just won't touch it. You have it on here. Um, what is your take on the cannabis industry as a trader and MJ? All right. So I have two viewpoints on this. One is from my, my trading lenses, which is technically. And technically, right now, MJ is back above its 200-day moving average, where it's arguably been hovering for a while now. Um, it's got impressive relative strength comparatively to the market, which means that you know, in this in this increased volatility we've been having, you'll see some weak stocks and then you'll see stocks with momentum and those are the ones that you want to be in. So MJ MJ is showing that it's it's got strength comparatively to the market and technically it's it's currently bullishly flagging, which means that it's got a lot of potential to break to the upside. And then 
again, like part of the reason why I like to be exposed to ETFs, and let me just like switch my goggles here. This is more from like an active investor, long-term investor standpoint and like picking themes and picking trends. Marijuana, arguably, I mean, it's it. It's it's, the ball's just going to keep rolling. Things are just going to keep advancing. You're just bullish because Jeff Sessions is no longer attorney general. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I also just want to point out that you're totally delusional. Yes, right. which you know so is talk about, explaining all of the the content of this podcast. Yeah, I so love far. your blog, the Delusional Trader, which is the name of your website, right? Where you blog. Correct. I do blog. That is actually not the focus of it. Um, and what it is is it's curated content. Um, you know, I I brought up Twitter past and um, essentially when I was first exposed to Twitter. You just you're inundated with information, and this this speaks more to, than to just Twitter. This is to CNBC. This is to the Wall Street Journal. This is to what we're doing right now. There is just so much information out there, and you know, you'd be remiss not not to take it in. It's extremely helpful, but then you're also bogged down and drowning when you try to consume it all. And a big issue is that most of it's biased. Most of it is is just content that's being put out for free by different services just trying to, you know, um, create more information about either their, their product, whether they're advisors, whether they're like, whether they're selling actual ETFs, whether they're just passive or whether they're active and they're, they're trying to, you know, rep their brand. Um, so you've started to curate it a little bit more. Filter out right. a lot of the most biased stuff. Take, exactly. take away the noise. Take away the noise. And essentially what I did was I was doing this for myself and then I was figuring, well, if I'm just doing it for myself, why don't I just put it on the web so then other people can enjoy it too? And it's interesting. um, I like uh, self-deprecating titles of anything. Uh, I was attracted to it when when you're – Sarah came to our ETF event and it said delusional trader on her badge. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I, like that's the, the greatest I'm, thing. Yeah. So um, but I do like the self-deprecating nature. I think a lot of people are bombarded with sites and books that are sort of how to make money in, you know, in the stock market, uh, you know, all of these very confident type ways that things are being presented to you, which I always wonder, why would you write a book? If you figured out the secret to making money in the stock market, that's a, in a whole different question. But to come out and call yourself delusional, I think, is attractive um, in this day and age. I think people are tr- will trust that a little more than that sort of typical um, sort of the titles of things. That's just my view on that. But as part of this, if you're delusional, I also want to know, like, how delusional are you? Like, what's your performance been like? Okay, so my performance, although I w- will not share numbers with you, has been good enough to to keep me doing this full time now for six years, so you're up. I am up. Um, another thing that's interesting about you is FinTwit, as you said, it's very male dominated. I think it's a lot of Gen Xers with young children who just use it as a vice, like the bar down the street. But it's also very good. You learn a lot. But there aren't that many females in the sort of FinTwit underworld. You're one of them. Can you talk a little bit about that and being a day trader in that sort of more male dominated dominated world? Right. So I feel like that this is this is a question that comes up a lot. Um, why why are there not more women in finance? Why aren't there more women in trading? And honestly, I'm kind of surprised there aren't more women in trading because um, it kind of speaks to my story in the beginning. You know, a lot of times as women, we get we get placed in these situations where we kind of have to make things work. You know, some people open cupcake shops. Other people decide to go on the Internet and try to make money fast. I don't know. 
I'm, I'm the latter, apparently. But, you know, I think one of the characteristics that has helped me most and I think helps, you know, a lot of the female fund managers out there is that, you know, we take risks, but we take well-defined risk, risks. And I think um, there is something to be said about the male ego, and I think that that can get in the way when it comes to trading. I think my my sensitivity to risk is what has kept me in the game this long. Um, also, something else that I'd like to touch to that, you know, I get in arguments quite frequently with the quants about is the emotions. You know, quants like to believe that you should check your emotions at the door, but I disagree with that. I think you need to acknowledge that we're human and we have emotions. But that being said, you know, identify what they are so that way you can take a step back and kind of make more objective decisions. But, you know, we're human. We have emotions. You know, when you take a loss, you're going to you're going to feel that when you're winning, you're going to feel that. Um, but, you know, when you're winning, don't don't put on more size because you're winning. You know, when you're losing, don't put on more size because you need to make it back. You know, I'm just I am and women are and I'm sure there are men that are, too just in touch internally with what's going on and where their head is at. I mean, arguably, the, the market, you know, it is just an exchange of emotions going on. When you think back to that moment that you had SPY and then you took the training wheels off, what do you wish you would have known then? I wish I would have known that all of the information out there is not is not true. Don't don't take everything for face value. Do your research. So the way that you can apply this to ETFs is so an ETF might say that it's tracking something new and innovative like she like oh we're tr- we're tracking female board member companies with female board members. It's kind of just tracking the S&P honestly. Um so kind of know what you're what you're getting into is this like is this actually a special ETF? Is it actually going to create alpha for me? Or is it really just a beta tracker? Sarah Newton, thanks for joining us on Trillion. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. And you can find Sarah Newton at Philatrids. Trillions is produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. Bye. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.